dishwasher yeah. and a uh, and unit washer dryer. So oh, yeah, I was just eating those every day. You can cook stuff. You can cook lasagna in the washing machine. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> it's a thing. How do you lasagna do relies on like carefully layered ordered stuff? How do you put well, it in the washing like, machine? Well, you just like put it. Let me. You just make a yeah. lasagna mess. Welcome back to episode 14 of the Maroon Weekly. It is week six of spring quarter. As always, I'm Austin. I'm Miles. And I'm Quinn. This week, I joined the Maroons editorial board to interview the Unite slate for student government elections. They're running for the executive positions this year, and we talked to them about a whole range of issues. I'm Lee Harris. I'm a second-year news editor. I'm Sonia Sussier. I'm a fourth-year news editor. I'm Spencer Denner. I'm a first-year deputy news editor. My name is Jerome Choi. I'm a third-year, and I'm the co-editor-in-chief. My name is Pete Greve. I'm a third-year, and I'm also co-editor-in-chief. And I'm Miles. Uh, my name is Natalie Jusko. I'm a second year and I'm running for VP of Administration. My name is Malay Trivedi. I'm a first year and I'm running for VP of Student Affairs. My name is Sat Gupta. I'm a second year and I'm running for President. Okay, so we're going to start with your platform and we're going to go point by point and ask you guys questions. So the first point uh, on your platform is mental health. And uh, one of the first questions that we sort of had is that you push SES to sort of reevaluate its forced uh, leave of absence policy. And the question that uh, that I have about that issue is is how do you sort of balance the tragic possibility, right? So the, the, the rationale for why the administration has a, a forced leave of that leave of absence policy, and they might not admit this publicly, but it's common uh, on, around many schools, is that like you know, it's it's always problematic when some some tragedy happens, some tragic event happens, such as a school shooting, for example, and then people often criticize uh, university administration's policies for like not catching the student beforehand, etc. And that's why that's why many universities have a forced leave of, leave of absence policy. So how do you sort of balance relaxing that policy with preventing tragedy? Right. So um, I think that in this case, it's really important to understand that with issues like mental health, yeah. a lot of things are on a case by case basis, which means that it is essential for students to be able to have open and clear access and lines of communication with SES in the first place so that they're able to work these issues out before tragedy can happen in the first place. So making sure that SES is more accessible, open, and appointments are better, and uh, there's a better format to be able to schedule them is really what we're trying to push for at this stage, um, working with administration and making sure that we're able to get students in on the ground floor, have greater accessibility to these services provided by the university, such that we can try as hard as we can to try to prevent a tragedy from happening in the first place. And moving specifically towards the leave of absence policy, it's currently very all or nothing. So you're either given a forced leave of absence or you can stay on campus. Uh, we want the administration to look into maybe other measures like considering you know, allowing students to take less classes per quarter, for example, or reduce their academic course load somehow so that students can stay on campus and you know, still be in school while, I guess, being supported and um, being treated by SES. You mentioned in your platform that uh, one of the problems with SES is that it's understaffed. Mm -hmm. um, can you sort of explain why you think it's understaffed? So that's just feedback I've heard from students. Um, and understaffing, I guess, maybe this should have been more clear on the platform, doesn't necessarily mean that there's not enough, enough staff. It also means that there's not enough staff or counselors of color or female counselors of color specifically. Diversity. Yeah, there's not enough diversity among the staff. Sure. And especially when it comes to that, um, a lot of the issue is timing. If somebody needs an appointment, 
quickly, immediately, uh, and they're trying to call in and schedule something, and they get an appointment for say three days later. Um, we're trying to we're trying to make sure that those kinds of problems can be alleviated, and something of a more concrete timetable could be established. And also, what, sorry, go ahead. Also, to figure out that staffing problem, <clears throat> SES needs to become more transparent. Um, you know, if the data about what percentage of students are referred off campus was released, for example, um, the university community would have a much better idea of like how large the staffing problem is. So the question is like, do you think off-campus referrals are a bad thing? It depends for what reason it's happening, right? Okay. If the reason is that there's not enough counselors of color here, um, or that you know uh, we're just not diverse enough, uh, yeah, it's a problem. And if the re if it's happening a lot because we're understaffed, then yeah, that's a problem. But if it's because uh, students want to go off campus because you know, they just feel they need greater resources that SCS just isn't capable of providing um, and might not be capable of providing in the future, then I don't think it's a problem. Let's talk a little bit about UCPD. Um, since the shooting of Charles Thomas, there's been uh, calls for disarming UCPD, and it seems like your platform doesn't go that far. I know there's been some discussions at SSG about that, too. Um, can you talk about what you think about that issue, and then also you can explain your UCPD positions more broadly. Sure. So our main... I guess concern with UCPD is transparency. Um, the private nature of UCPD means it's not subject to the Freedom of Information Act, as I'm sure you know. Um, and that means it doesn't have to release information like like as much information as a public police force. So its use of force policy is not currently public. Its arrest records are not currently public. Um, and that has a lot of consequences, not just for the student body, but for the community. Because the vast majority of people UCPD polices aren't members of the Chicago community, aren't affiliated with the university in any way. They are community members. It has jurisdiction over something like, I think, 60,000, 600,000 people, a ridiculous number. Um, and the fact that non-university affiliated community members don't know things like arrest records or uh, the use of force policy when they're the ones being most affected by this, is it's a travesty and it's honestly unforgivable, unforgivable by the university administration. Um, so that also includes, that's part of the reason why we want more community members to have a larger say on the independent review committee um, which manages UCP complaints against UCPD. Um, it's currently composed equally of representatives from the administration, the student body, and outside community members. We think community members need a greater say on that because they're the ones being policed. What about, um, you, you said the boundaries seem ridiculous or something along those lines. Do you think they should be changed? I think they should, that should be looked into. Uh, to be honest, I'm not 100% familiar with the history of the UCPD or why those boundaries are as large as they are, um, but it should be evaluated and if there's like valid reason for that, it needs to be communicated to the student body because many of us have questions about why that is the case. And yeah. what about the question of uh, disarming UCPD? Do you have any thoughts on that? I'm not sure, to be honest. Um, again, I'm not an expert on the issue. That being said, I think, as many in our community know, police, the police force can use force uh, sometimes way too much. So maybe a start in evaluating that issue is releasing the use of force policy. Essentially, one of the things that we're trying to focus on in our first weeks should we be elected is having immediate communication with all of the branches of administration, which definitively includes uh, the UCPD chiefs, um, the police chiefs, uh, and the administrative ends of that, to be able to have very open and frank communications about why the state of UCPD is the state, of, the state that it is in right now and what could change uh, going to the future. And we have been in communications with the current slate, especially regarding the uh, SG um, proposal that was on the floor um, a few weeks ago. Uh, and we, we are trying to push forward um, 
those ideas as a start, not a complete solution, but somewhere to, I guess, get our feet in the water with UCPD. All right, this week, you should check in on the Artscast and the Quadcast. They've got some great content coming up. Make sure to listen on Wednesday and Friday, respectively. So I guess part of your um, platform here talks about um, working with the administration uh, to facilitate conversations with groups like PSA. Um, this seem, seems like uh, sort of administrative transparency. It's something that Chase worked on a lot, getting that um, meeting with Zimmer. Um, maybe you guys can talk a little bit generally about sort of strategies for like getting those conversations with administrators that can sometimes be hard to set up. Um, so this this year, um, College Council passed a resolution. I think it was sponsored by Cosmo Albrecht and Jolia Dewu. Uh They're both fourth-year reps, or Jolia might be a third-year rep. Um, yeah. Anyway, they sponsored a resolution supporting this uh, statement that PSA had put out, basically calling on the university to reform aspects of its policy, including transcribing uh, meetings of the disciplinary boards that hear these sexual misconduct cases. As soon as College Council passed that resolution, uh, we got an email not an hour or two later from Dean Rasmussen calling me and those two college council reps, along with members of PSA, in for a meeting with the provost, uh, Dean Rasmussen, and uh, Shay Wolf, Deputy Title IX Coordinator. Um, I think that the tool that we have in college council, like resolutions and in assembly as well, has just been a little bit underutilized in the recent past, because the fact is when the student body speaks with one voice and passes something like that, we're almost guaranteed a meeting with administrators because they want to find out what our concerns are. Uh, so I think in terms of getting in the room, uh, which is what you're asking, I think, uh, using resolutions, I guess, less sparingly um, would be a good strategy. Uh, there's also another initiative that I've started working on this year uh, through College Council, which will be continued uh, into next year in the fall, um, which is really focused around um, bringing together not only UChicago administration, but administrations from schools across Illinois. So um, essentially it's going to be a student-based um, sexual misconduct conference, which invites uh, activist student groups such as PSA or the equivalents on other campuses or RSVP or SAP, if, if you want to think about those bodies. And I'll be bringing them together at UChicago to be able to discuss best practices, um, learn from professionals, panelists, and peer activists about what they can do to advance their battle against sexual misconduct, as well as there will be an open letter which I'll be authoring to both the governor and the attorney general regarding um, how students need to see um, state law shaped uh, to be able to best, to most effectively protect us uh, on our campuses. I know that Nat had some more discussions about uh, panhell and also general strategies. Yeah, we're also hoping to develop programming that addresses how um, queer and gender non-conforming students often face higher rates of uh, sexual assault and verbal harassment um, because, like, I mean, it, it's one thing to increase transparency with the administration, but we all also want to make sure that we're getting the full picture and that everyone's voices uh, are heard. Um, in terms of panhell, we're looking to reform how um, non-RSO groups are handling these cases and how to make them more accountable to the university. So you say we in the platform when you talk about like sort of um, programming that addresses how queer and gender non-conforming students, who's we in this situation? Are you talking about the slate in general or like student government in general or are you going to work with other organizations to help develop that? We're talking about student government in general. Much like slate and I guess the rest of SG worked together this year during Sexual Assault Awareness Month to put on a lot of programming, um, we're talking about 
that organization, if that makes so sense. So you're not going to work with like other RSOs that might be sort of more experienced? I don't know. Oh, we, we, we definitely, definitely would. Yeah. 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 Um, and also, just like this is a quick clarifying question, but I guess it's somewhat um, significant. So you talk about how your, your final point is that not many, uh, there are only three male students that attended the opening event uh, uh, of SAM. And you, you say that we need to sort of ensure diversity of, of gender uh, for sexual assault awareness programming. Um, how are you going to encourage more males to attend the event? Because you, you talk in general terms about promotion, but like my impression is that it had been promoted like relatively significantly. So how do you plan on like, you know, encouraging more males to attend? Mm -hmm. So um, you're right. It was, um, it was, uh, was it, what's the word that you just used? Promoted. Uh, promoted, right. <laughs> it was promoted rather uh, significantly, but it was also promoted in specific circles far more than it was in, in, say, others where it could have had a better voice. So I think that if we're also going to be talking about uh, the sororities uh, and how, how we can be working with Panhel, it's important to also have the fraternity voice there. Um, so that's just one example of how uh, we, we could do a better job of getting uh, input from both sides. So you would reach out to fraternities? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And when I, when, I think when you were running for um, college council, I was looking at an old maroon story, you said that uh, sexual assault is a big problem with fraternities, surrounds fraternities. Mm -hmm. um, maybe you can talk like a little bit more about uh, how you might address the issue of sexual assault specifically, um, how, it, how it pertains to fraternities. Right, absolutely. So one of the things that I've really tried to focus on uh, throughout this year and trying to keep forward, keep up in the future is having just very honest and open dialogue, which means roundtable communications with the leaders uh, of these fraternities and sororities, being able to come together and just openly discuss how we can better address these problems. Frankly, there's a lot of things that they're better acquainted to be able to address, being the fraternities um, themselves and being able to approach them and I'm sure that they'd be willing to help out because this is an important issue to them as well, uh, to be able to have those dialogues uh, and be able to learn from them and learn with them. So you, when you talk about roundtable discussions, an example, um, have you actually sat down with fraternities or with Panhel? That's something that uh, we would like to do. I know Nat has talked in Panhel. Yeah, uh, I am a member of Panhel, um, and we have, like, there was recently a Greek president's meeting where they sat down and sort of asked um, these organizations how they can be more accountable to Panhel uh, and to the university at large. Um, and I think uh, everyone wants to have these discussions. It's, it's more just like there's a sort of gap between student government uh, and these non-RSO organizations that just needs to be bridged. So just to clarify uh, that discussion between Greek presidents, though, that was uh, in your capacity on Panhel, correct? That wasn't with SG? Yes. It, it, it was with SG? It was, no, it was with Panhel. So fraternities have been like caught up in like you know as you may know fraternities have been caught up in like numerous scandals over the years whether it's sexual assault whether it's like racism discrimination etc. Um, do you think overall though fraternities are a positive force on campus? Do they add value? I think that we can only speak to Panhel uh, and the sororities. I mean, none of us being part of a fraternity organization. Um, I think that Panhel and the sororities on campus do a lot of good in terms of philanthropy, in terms of being student leaders, yeah. um, in terms of like being integrated into campus life uh, in like lots of RSOs, in student government, and um, I like I think in general yeah. Panhel has been a very positive. I also do want to add that I think fraternities do provide like a much needed like outlet or space for students, right? Uh, 
to party. Um, that being said, there are issues that we have discussed, right? Like when PSA did that expose, I think it was in the Maroon last year, of visiting all these frat parties and seeing that um, they weren't following their own recommendations in these fraternities committed to safety on that website document thing they released. Um, I think that's a real problem as well, right? So when these spaces are safe, it's a positive contribution, right? When they're not, then we need to work on that and fix it. Do you think, it, you talked a little bit about FCS, um, uh, fraternities committed to safety. Um, that was, it seems like sort of the first effort, at least in recent years, to bring fraternities together on um, really any issue, but this was specifically sexual assault. Have you guys thought at all about whether there needs to be some sort of fraternity council or a more formal body um, to step in and, and sanction fraternities when they have you know, uh, uh, problems that come up? Uh, yeah, I think we, we do think that. So you, you think the university should recognize fraternities? Not that you, the university should recognize them, but that FCS as it stands is too informal, right? It's too, there's no accountability. I think some form of PSA or one of these other organizations, even maybe members of SAP, yeah. kind of having a, a seat at the table to speak, it's not as far as recognizing these fraternities, right? But so it you're is- against recognition of fraternities by the university? I think it would lead to issues that I can't like really foresee um, right what now. What kind of issues? Like, what, do you have any like just general sense of what those issues might be? In general, when universities have recognized fraternities in the past, right? Other universities, right? Then, I guess there these frats issues tend to just like reflect poorly on the university much, much more, and affect the rest of the student body. That's my understanding of it. I'm not very well versed on. Right? Let's that's, also that's not the argument, right? let's also yeah. not forget that um, student government as as a whole. Uh, doesn't inherently have the power to be able to have the university recognize or not recognize yeah. fraternities in the first place. Yeah. So um, insofar as that's concerned. Um, you also don't have the power to make, force them to like provide more resources to SES. But right. you yeah. so, so given that given that you say SG basically has no power in the recognition of fraternities, but you also think that things like FCS are, are important, what do you see? SG's role as in governing fraternities? Right, so uh, just as that was saying, it's about having um, the, having a seat at the table in those discussions. So similar to how Panhel has an organized structure to be able to have these conversations, if there was something similar similar with fraternities and student government was able to also have a seat at that table and be able to say, hey, here are some problems that we can be able to discuss. What can we as student government and you as frat leaders do together to be able to address those? And whether or not that's recognition, I just want to clarify, yeah. I'm not sure. Okay. Well, but so Panhel, I mean Panhel has that seat at the table because Panhel is also like uh, consists of a bunch of Greek organizations. Do, I mean, do you do you think fraternities are interested in sitting down and working with you? How like how how would you cultivate that relationship? And what does that look like in the past? I think that in cases where frats aren't safe, it reflects poorly on them, and they are aware of that. So they do like want to improve. Uh, this situation and start a conversation about this. There just isn't like a current way to do that. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but SG hasn't really reached out to. D definitely not this year. And I'm. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So you'd consider part of your platform or your goals for the next year to be facilitating that kind of thing? Conversation. Mm -hmm. Because we really think that you can't address sexual assault on this campus without having a direct dialogue with fraternities. And Let's you think that the vessel for that direct dialogue should be student government? Yeah. 
of the representative body of students. Let's maybe talk for just a second about the Moose Party. Um, we, we didn't even invite them here today because they're a satirical slate. Um, but uh, you guys did have a debate with them, um, I guess, on Wednesday. Um, and they were asked about sexual assault, and it seemed like they didn't respond. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, do, you, do you have any response like, to, to them or you have anything to say, really? Um, we, we've chose, we chose not to directly respond to them because we wanted to focus predominantly on the issues instead of making it something of more of a political... Personal attack. Right. Uh, that's really not what our goal is. Uh, we, we prefer to stay focused on the issues. Um, and if the members of DU want to engage in this conversation about sexual misconduct uh, going forward, that's something that we will unequivocally do. to transparency so your, your platform point. And so you mentioned that your, your slate wants to increase the number of sort of public interactions or town halls that you have with high-level administrators to talk about some of the more, more important issues on campus so my impression is that like almost every slate sort of advocates for this <laughs> um, but they've struggled over the years because the administration is sort of unwilling or perhaps afraid uh, to have these public interactions uh, how, how do you guys plan on sort of addressing this issue in a different way compared to other previous slates so one thing is that after this, this year's event with President Zimmer and Dean Boyer, I think we have set a precedent, I think, for how these events can work and work well, right? Despite the fact that there were protesters like literally right outside the venue, yeah. um, despite the fact that some of the questions were unrelated to the topic that was being discussed and frankly were somewhat hostile, right? At the end of the day, the event went off without a hitch and the president and the dean uh, were able to take those questions in stride um, and you know, essentially held a successful event. So we think using that president and showing the administration that, hey, you did this one year and it went off fine, why not make this a more regular occurrence? Uh, we think that would be a useful way to convince them. And it's also important to note, um, just as that was saying, there were protesters outside, there were questions that were asked that were on topics that weren't, you know, specifically related to free speech as um, the event had been planned beforehand. But we think that's still okay because yeah. student interests have to be advocated for. And when this is the first town hall event that President Zimmer has had in years, it's only, it, it's, it's obvious that there's going to be other concerns that are going to come up. So approaching it from the angle of, if we do more of these events, if we have greater communication, then it won't be nearly as hostile every single time to administration because we'll already have opened this series of dialogue and have shown that there is an opportunity to actually enact you know, real change by having this, this communication instead of doing one event every couple of years and then just having a million, of di- million different if- issues all cropping Not up. Not to mention that the fact that President Zimmer you know, was able to go give speeches about free speech and take questions at places like Colgate and other universities without first doing it on his own campus was frankly unacceptable to us. Um, it's part of the reason why we supported holding this event and why we support holding more. So my impression is that attendance at these events have like historically been poor. Uh, how, how would you sort of solve that issue? Besides saying something general like promotion, because right? they, mm-hmm. they have been promoted pretty heavily. Um, do you think students are actually interested in these events? Like, 
No, I, I definitely do think so. But in those cases, we have to make sure that we're formulating these events so that there are focused around certain topics that are actually of interest to students. Because when we just say very, very generally, oh, town hall on free speech, um, I'm sure a few students will be interested in attending that. But if it's instead a town hall on student voices uh, in terms of improving sexual misconduct policy from the university or having better addressing of um, mental health services by President Zimmer directly, then I think that we'll have much greater turnout uh, and much greater, um, I guess, understanding that's, that's between administration and the student body. And I think that one of the things that Sat and I have especially tried to do on student government is cultivate these relationships um, over the course of two years for Sat and one year for me with administrators and be able to say that we understand that there are some interests that may be you know, a little bit different between administration and students. Well, why don't we work together to be able to come to the table and say that as a whole, our interests should be the same. And by having that increased communication, we'll be able to align them in a better manner. Undocumented students, does anybody have questions about that? Uh, yeah, so so I do have a question about this, but it's sort of linked to the next platform point, which is summer breeze and school-wide activities. So as a slate, you summer breeze and undocumented students are linked. Yes. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, it makes sense. Uh, so, so you mentioned that you would increase funding for the major activities board um, so that students can have better, bigger and better acts. So my impression is that speaking with um, several heads of, our, like the heads of several RSOs, there, there is a lot of sort of Maybe anger is the wrong word, but sort of, um, actually, let's use a strong word, hatred. Let's say <laughs> uh, a, lot, a lot of RSO um, heads don't really like the major activities board or, or perhaps envious of the major activities board for getting so much money, while, mm -hmm. while sometimes they, they don't have enough funds to like, you know, fund their teams or et cetera. Uh, can you sort of explain how you would sort of divvy up funds sort of equally so that all parties are somewhat satisfied? Uh, yeah, it doesn't mean taking money out of the SG budget and necessarily giving it to major activities board. It means talking to the university administration about like, hey, a yeah. lot of our peer schools get bigger and better acts, yeah. for lack of a better term. Uh, we were wondering if you want to like give MAB some more money uh, <laughs> to help us with that. We're not going to divert money from RSOs to give to MAB. It's yeah. more of like a longer term goal to talk with the administration about. Do you think that's a that's a we also have very important <laughs> goal for the university to provide more money to the major activities board because it, it, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're saying like tens of thousands of dollars so right? quite frankly of, it's less important than a lot of the other yeah. things on our platform yeah. right much less important it's less important than protecting undocumented students it's less important than graduate sexual student issues less important than sexual misconduct but yeah. we think it's an issue because honestly summer breeze is one of the activities that tends to unite the student body as a whole uh or divide it based on who's performing <laughs> um and yeah we think it's that a campus-wide activity should try and appeal to as many people as possible, yeah. and to do that, they need more funding. Yeah, because I mentioned this because like you, you talk about the DACA emergency fund, right? And, and it's pretty small. Like, it's pretty small. I think you guys mm -hmm. would admit it's pretty small, and it doesn't do that much. I mean, it's a good symbolic gesture. I, I think you would admit that, but it's the, the lack of like sort of like uh, sort of concrete results based on the emergency fund is small. And one of the reasons is it's a small fund, right? So like, and to be fair, you, the emergency fund has not started giving out yes, money yet, so we but, don't know. Yeah, but it's. Yeah. What I'm saying is, it's 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 like, how, how, like it's 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 in the, like the scale of like thousands of dollars. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so, 
wouldn't it be a lot more productive? I know that people always give the argument that we can do multiple things at once, but like, wouldn't it be more productive to like devote your energies to towards getting more money for that fund instead of more yes. money, more money for them? Uh, Does someone want to explain the emergency fund quickly for any podcast listeners? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So basically, the emergency fund was started by um, John A. Brown, who's currently a second-year college council rep. Yeah. Um, and it's the idea is that we'll provide emergency funds to students, especially undocumented students who are going through a hard time and need these funds to do things like reapply for a passport or maybe hire a lawyer to figure out something with yeah, like immigration. Advice, yeah. yeah, so these uh, small tasks that they just don't have the money for. Yeah, um, yeah that's, I think that's a fair explanation. And student council, is, or college council, <laughs> <laughs> has funded um, part of it. Yeah. And uh, also one thing to note is that a big part of their foundation is being able to do uh, fundraisers that, are, that they're running independently. So, um, the, the notion that we're going to be diverting uh, a very large part of the SG budget towards that as opposed to RSOs uh, isn't completely founded. Um, we gave them initial funding to be able to help them get started and rolling, uh, but one of the things that John A. does hold very dearly is being able to have an independently fundraised um, body for that and being able to help um, whichever students are in need of whatever resources that they apply for be able to do so. And also, just to answer your question, which you initially asked, the answer is like, yes, like, it is more important to figure out funding for the emergency fund before increasing major activities board funding. Yeah. Okay. And do you guys have strategies to do that? Because, like, you mm -hmm. don't really mention this. So, we've con I've talked to John A. about some of these. Yeah. So, we could make the emergency fund, like, a standing committee in SG. Yeah. Um, but then the problem is, you know, will someone, like, yeah. defund it one year or something? Well, um, I understand the importance argument, right? But like, yeah. what I'm saying is, in your platform, you mention increasing funding or finding ways to increase funding for the major activities board, but mm -hmm. you don't mention finding ways to increase funding for the emergency fund. Right. right? And, and you that's, say like, let's just have an emergency fund. Like, well, know, that depends on that depends on how yeah. well it operates once it yeah. starts getting out money, right? We're not going to say we're going to increase funding for an organization that hasn't started fulfilling its core function yet. If the core function is getting advice. For, like getting legal advice, for example, for undocumented students, that's expensive, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and, and this fund, like, it's in the it's in the scale of like thousands of dollars. Is that like, do you think, do you, do you honestly think that's going to be enough to like full, like you know, to like adequately provide for the services of this campuses? For a lawyer, probably not. But it's yeah. also meant to provide the course function is not legal advice. That's not stated yeah. anywhere in the bylaws or in yeah in the bylaws of the fund. It's meant to just provide for emergency expenses, right? That doesn't right. have to be legal advice. That can be like applying for a passport, like I mentioned yeah. earlier, or paying off a parking ticket or something. Um, and so one of the examples that John A. often uses is like, if there's a set of like required lab materials or something like that for a class that a student needs to be able to buy, and those are small incidental things that they wouldn't otherwise be able to afford, it's something like that. So um, the emergency fund uh, is not limited to a very specific Yes. set of topics, yeah. but it's supposed to be something that's wider. And what we are looking to do is help them as they um, as, as they grow and see um, what what help they might need moving forward, sure. considering that I believe that they just launched either they're, uh, I think they're, they're launching, launching next week. On Tuesday. Yeah. So okay. we need to see how they function before, you know, saying how much we'll increase funding for them or if we're going to try and increase funding for okay. them. Marketplace is the Chicago Maroons classified page. You can buy and sell at any number of things at marketplace.chicagomaroon.com. Right now you can find a wolf granny costume, like the wolf from Little Red Riding Hood, for just
Next up is the news. This week, the Major Activities Board announced that Carly Rae Jepsen is going to be headlining the Summer Breeze. I honestly could not be more excited. Yeah, you're a big fan? Yeah, I mean, I know on the meme page a lot of people are ironically fans of Carly Rae Jepsen, but I unironically think she's the pop star of our generation. There's a lot of people that are crazy about her, yeah. Who else is going to be at Summer Breeze as well? Along with Carly Rae, we got Empress Of and Princess Nokia. This is the first time that uh, Summer Breeze has been an all-female lineup. That's pretty awesome. I can't wait. When do tickets go on sale? Tickets are going on sale on Saturday, May 5th at 11 a.m. at the Reynolds Club if you want one of the first 800 tickets which are rain-protected and get you a ticket into Hutch for the indoor venue. But otherwise, the concert will be outside in Hutch Courtyard. And the concert is on May 19th. On April 19th, a superseding indictment was filed in the case of Charles Thomas. It includes three felony counts of aggravated assault of a peace officer and five felony counts of criminal property damage. So, Miles, how is this different from what Charles Thomas was initially charged with? Well, originally, he was charged with one count of aggravated assault of a peace officer and two counts of felony property damage. But when a superseding indictment is filed, it replaces any prior indictments. And this generally happens when new evidence allows the state to bring new charges. Finally, after years of activism, the trauma center will be opening at the UC Hospital starting tomorrow, May 1st. Now let's talk about some of the events around New Chicago this week. Tomorrow, May 1st, the IOP is hosting Cory Booker. It's going to be at 2.15 at Polsky Exchange North. This Wednesday, May 3rd at 4.30 p.m., there will be Tea Time Concert Piano Showcase, where tea and cookies will be served while both students and faculty perform a wide variety of musical genres. Austin, is this a, uh, is this a BYOT type of situation, or will there be tea? No, they provide tea. Oh, nice. And on May 5th at 7 p.m. at Logan, the South Asian Music Ensemble will have their spring concert. What's our tech fact this week? So the tech fact this week is about this new product from Google called Google Chat. So all you iMessagers, you know how you love to hate on Android users for having our green bubbles, and Android users don't get all the cute, fancy features of iMessage. Oh, you're an Android user, aren't you? Yeah, I, yeah. I am an Android user. Well, anyways... This is Google's solution to the problem. What Google Chat is, is it's open source. So iMessage, you need iMessage's app to be able to use all the fancy features. The way Google Chat works is if your carrier activates this, any phone, Android, um, or otherwise would theoretically be able to send and receive messages that are fancy just like iMessages. So if I had a group chat with both of you who are both Android users, would it be Blue Bubbles now? No, so the way this is going to work is for Android users, we've never really had functionalities like fancy balloons or stuff like that when we text each other. So now from Android user to Android user, you'll get that kind of functionality. And the way, since Google made this open source, if Apple chooses to implement it into iMessage, then we could all be happy. Of course, Apple, probably being Apple, will try and not do that. But theoretically, in a world where everybody loves consumers, we could all have blue bubbles together. Thank you for listening. This has been episode 14 or week six of Spring Quarter. Thank you to the Maroons Editorial Board and the Unite Slate. Thank you to Andrew Dietz, Aaron Senden, and Kenny Talbot LaVega for the music for our podcast. As always, thank you to Ben, Kent, and the entire Logan Cage staff. And the podspiration, Catherine McDonald. McDonald.
That's been our episode, and we'll see you next week on Monday.